Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Today I want to come and, and close this sermon series that we've been looking at. Some of you are probably proud of that. It's been some time that we have focused ourselves on giving. And I hope and pray that as we move through this series that you've caught my heart for the idea of giving, that it's not just financial. It includes our financial resources, but giving is so much more. It is a lifestyle. It is an attitude that we have that infects every area of our lives. We give because we reflect the character of the greatest giver ever, our God above. And that's what we, we see in our lives. We recognize in our lives. So today I want to punctuate this sermon series as we look at this idea of giving, as we look at this idea of God's blessing, God's prosperity in our lives. I want us to see it as we, as we really flesh out these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Begin with me, if you will, in verse 1. Paul's writing, and we really enter into this conversation that he's having with the Corinthians. And this is what he says to them. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Stop there for a moment, okay? Because again, we plunge into the middle of this conversation. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's encouraging them. He's speaking to them specifically about an offering that they've been collecting. Now, what offering is that? Well, you see it mentioned in 1 Corinthians. You hear it mentioned in some of the other letters of Paul. Basically, what is happening is that the Gentile churches are being urged. They're being encouraged to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Those Judean believers that are going through very difficult times. A famine, also just the natural poverty that came with identifying with Christ. Think about this a moment. A famine that had hit Jerusalem, which had been pro prophesied by Agabus the prophet himself. A famine which had affected all individuals, but especially believers. If you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you're in Jerusalem, think about the limited opportunities you would have the limited opportunities you would have to to work to gain more money because if you are recognized as a christ follower persecution will naturally follow right you're in jerusalem this is where your master your savior was crucified this is the heart of hostility against christ and his followers so here those judean believers they're going through Abundant poverty. It abounds all throughout their lives. So what Paul and the other leaders are trying to do is to encourage 
is to encourage these Gentile churches, those who have much, to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. That's what Paul is addressing here. And what he says to us is he's sending some people ahead. He's going to send Titus and some other individuals who will collect the offering, get it all together so that they can take it to Jerusalem. But note verse 6. Because in verse 6, we begin to see Paul flesh out a little bit of this theology around giving. Really about how we are to give abundantly and cheerfully in our lives. Look in verse 6. But this I say. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He uses this agricultural metaphor. This agrarian picture he uses here to be able to bring his point home. What does he say? He says, now think about it this way. If you're going to sow bountifully, that means that you're going to reap bountifully. So if you're going out, you're sowing your seed, you're throwing as much as you can on the ground. The more you sow, theoretically, the more you're going to reap, right? That just makes sense. Some of you still have a garden. A few of you people. Not many. A couple of you. Didn't see many tomatoes from your gardens this year, but hey, I don't know. When you sow a good bit, you're going to reap a good bit. It's just this principle. Paul says that when you sow sparingly, you will also reap sparingly. So if you're out there and you're just going to sow a little bit, you're not going to reap very much. This is the principle that he gives. Now, when I read this, I can automatically feel this struggle inside. I don't know about you. I can feel the struggle inside because when I hear this principle, it sounds so much like a prosperity gospel to me. And maybe it's because I've watched too many TV preachers. And I know we're on TV on Sunday morning. But maybe it's just my natural revulsion toward those individuals who would say, yes, sow your seed, give so much, and this is what you'll get in return. I've heard it all of my life. If you sow a seed, you might, you might reap a hundredfold in that area. All you've got to do is give, and specifically what they will tell you is to give to their ministry so that prosperity would be known. And I hate to tell you, but prosperity is known among most of those individuals. So when I hear this, I read it, I'm like, Paul, now come on. You haven't just joined TBN and you haven't just started preaching your own little gospel here of prosperity. The prosperity gospel basically says... That if you're a believer and if you're in the will of God and you have enough faith, you will have all health and wealth for your life. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that some of us do preach that unintentionally. I was sitting in my office a few weeks back. There was a young man who was there and we were discussing his life and there were a lot of relational issues 
His parents had left. His finances, well, they were non-existent. He was hoping to go to school, but he was struggling. He was working through it all. He had come to me. He had reached out, reached out to me and, and said he wanted to, to come and join the church. And I said to him, I said, well, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Before we get to the idea of church membership, we got to know, first of all, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. That's the most important thing. And we talked through that, and he determined he had accepted Christ. And he had been baptized. He felt like he needed to come and join the church. I said, that's a great thing. We'd love to have you at the church. So we began talking about all those things, about him coming and joining and as soon as we finished that part of the conversation, he looked at me and he said, Dr. Reggie, when will things change? And I said, hold on just a minute. What would you say? He said, just this last question, when will things change? And I said, what do you mean change? He said, when will things get better for me financially? When will things get better for me with my family relationally? When will those things change? And then all of a sudden I realized that he thought just if he came to Christ, all these other things would get so much better in the world's eyes. And I looked at him and I said, ho, 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 just a minute. I said, just because you follow Christ doesn't mean that you're not going to have difficulty. I need to tell you this up front because I don't want you following Jesus just because you think that everything's going to be perfect in your life. But you know what? That's sometimes what we communicate unintentionally. I, I just said, hey, we, we, there may still be relational issues. I'm not promising you your folks will come back and get together. I, I'm not promising you that you're all of a sudden going to win the jackpot. The lottery so that you can do whatever you want. I, I'm not promising you those things. What I am promising you is that there is a God who will walk with you through those moments. That there is a God of heaven that can give a peace and can give a joy. And that he can walk with you through those most difficult times of your life. You see, I, I struggle with this because I, I know, I know on one hand that God is the one who blesses, but I know on the other hand that there are those who go through difficulty. And just as the New Testament believers struggled, just as the Judean believers struggled with famine and poverty, that there are those moments in our hearts and lives. So I give you all that to say that I struggle even as I read this passage. But as I read all of it in context, I think it helps draw this idea together for me. This biblical idea, this biblical concept of what prosperity really is. So let me launch out into this very quickly. And let me say this to you first of all. When we give bountifully, our means do prosper. Now, I just went off into this diatribe. Is that what you would have called that just a moment ago? about how God doesn't necessarily give us all the wealth and health. He, he doesn't always do what we think He should do. And certainly, listen, we don't believe that just because we have resources in our lives, we have God's favor upon our life. We don't believe that at all. 
So how can I come back around and say that when we give bountifully, our means prosper? Well, look at this again, this analogy in verse 6. He who spares sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When I'm reading this, I'm reading it in context of the giving, the financial giving of the church at Corinth. And as much as I would like to spiritualize the financial components, as much as I would like to remove this idea of material blessing from this passage, I don't believe I can. When you sow a seed, you get the fruit that represents the seed. Correct? What's the law of the harvest? That you will reap what you sow, after you sow, and more than you sow. Correct? That's the law of the harvest. So here it is talking about financial giving. And there is a sense of where God blesses us with material resources. I said this in the very beginning. I'll say it again. I'll say it again today. And you'll hear me say it again throughout my ministry here. God is the one who gives all good gifts to us. And everything that we have, the clothes on our back, the homes that we live in, the food on our table, all of it is a gift from God. He is the one who blesses us. We sow seed, we reap, we see what the Lord has done in blessing us. But what has happened is the prosperity gospel has so distorted the true gospel in our minds that we're frightened to think about this. We're frightened to think about, oh, if we give or something, somehow God blesses. Because now we're identified with those prosperity gospel people. But listen to what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying... When you are giving generously, you will see generosity returned to your heart and life. It's the old adage, isn't it? You can't outgive God. You can't. You can't outgive Him. He measures it back to you. I love the story of R.G. Letourneau. He was one who invented these earth-moving machines, as somebody has identified them. He gave away 90% of his income. But the money came back in faster than he could ever give it away. And you know what he said? Letourneau said this. I shovel it out. God shovels it back. But God has a bigger shovel than I do. <laughs> he continues to bless. You cannot outgive God. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying if you so bountifully understand God is big enough and great enough to shovel it back. And to bless you in your life. Now hang with me, because we're going to look at the purpose of that in a moment. But just know, God does bless. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I've been really struggling with this. Because, Denise, I never thought I would quote Skip Stinson from this pulpit. <laughs> but a few weeks ago when I was preaching on this giving, Skip actually, actually I'm quoting his dad. He said his dad used to uh, field questions from people. Maybe somebody would ask, hey, should I tithe on my net or on my gross income? Should I tithe on that? To which Skip said his dad would always say, well, it depends. 
Do you want a net blessing or do you want a gross blessing? <laughs> See, Skip, you can come up with something good every now and then. Very few times, but you can every now and then. That's exactly right. God blesses us. Peter Marshall, the great chaplain of the Senate for so long, said, Give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. He said, Bless, give. He says, Give bountifully because of this. Look at this. We believe that our God is able. Look in verse 8. And God is able. Can you just say that? God is able. Can you say that together? God is able. Do you believe that? That our God is able. And I love this verse because it says, To make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Actually, that word every, that should be an all too. So listen to the alls of that scripture. Your God and my God is powerful enough to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for all good work. Your God and my God, he's got all of the alls covered. All of them. The all grace that he can give to your life, that he provides for you, is enough for you to know all sufficiency. Literally means Contentment in your heart and life. It abounds. You see, in verse 10, he, he is the supplier of the seed. And He is the supplier of the bread for food. He is the supplier. He's the one that... Look at this. He, again, gave us the seed that we have to sow. We're talking about sowing the seed and seeing God bring blessing. Well, listen... He already brought blessing by giving you the seed. He owns that seed. You can trust Him. When you sow, you sow in faith knowing that your God is the one who is the blesser of life. Ed Stetzer, he said, How ironic it is that we have trouble trusting God with something that has, in God we trust, stamped upon it. We can trust God because He gave us the seed and He gives us the blessing. So when we give bountifully, yes, our means prosper. There's a sense where He blesses us in our means. But listen to this. Listen. Because you've got to connect all this together, okay? When we give bountifully, our ministry prospers. Don't miss the end of verse 8. It says... That you may have an abundance for all good work. What does that mean? The word there is a singular work. Not plural, just singular work. What does it mean that you have a, an abundance for every good work? What Paul is saying is the reason you have been blessed is so that you can do ministry and service with it. That's the reason. He's not bountifully He's not bountifully showering blessings upon you so that you'll have more in your life for the purpose of of preaching God's favor or using it for whatever you want. 
the reason he blesses you and the reason he blesses me is so that it can be used for the blessing of others. Don't miss the context. He is using the Corinthian blessing to meet the need of the Judean believers. The reason he's talking about blessing to them is not so that they can increase their financial standing and be proud of that. He is increasing them so that they can make a difference in other people's lives. When you look at verse 11, where it says, While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. In other words, you've been given, you've been blessed in so many ways. The prosperity theologians would stop with that and they would say something like, Well, while you are enriched in everything so that you might live in wealth, showing the world how much God blesses those who love Him. That's what the prosperity gospel preachers would say. That you could live in such a wonderful thing that you could say, Hey, look at God's favor upon me. But what Paul is saying is, and I love the way Randy Alcorn captures this. He says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but God prospers me to raise my standard of giving. And that is a truth that you find in the Scripture is that God blesses us so that we can invest in other individuals. We can bless us. The reason He comes to us bountifully as we give bountifully is so that the more that He gives, the more that we can give. There was an older preacher from Baton Rouge. Some of you would know his name probably if I called it. He preached down at Estruma for many, many years. And, and uh, I, got to lead, I got to lead a revival with him back up in North Mississippi. I, was, I think I was in high school. I was leading music, and uh, he was up preaching, and, and uh, he was quite a character, quite a character. I recalled this week what he told me as we were there together. He was preaching on giving one night, and uh, he, made a, he made a comment. He said, I don't give my children change to put in the offering plate. I said, oh, that's, that's interesting. Why, why would you not give them change to put in the offering plate? And uh, he said, well, I just want my children to know that God's business is not a nickel and dime business. I want them to know that they ought to be giving generously to God's work, to His ministry, to His mission. That's always stuck in my mind, this idea of like giving bountifully, not a nickels and dimes kind of thing, but what can we do to give bountifully? How can God use this? How can God use this for His kingdom? You know, giving is a ministry. It is a ministry. Look in verse 12. For the administration of this service. That word administration is our word for deacon. So it means for the service of this special calling upon your life. This service, this ministry, actually that second word service, it can describe like a public service you're called to or a priestly service. It, it, it gives us the word liturgy today. You've heard that word liturgy? It can mean that you are called to a public service or it can mean that you are called to a priestly kind of worship type of service. I think 
it reminds us in both ways that what we do as we give is we minister to other people. And as we give bountifully, what God does, and this is amazing, God brings back to us so that we can continue to give and we can see His ministry prosper. Let me give you another picture of it. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Of people giving in such an appropriate way that they just help their fellow believers. They encourage those who are in need. Now listen, I think we ought to give in a whole lot of different areas. But may I say this, that when I read the New Testament, we are especially called to give to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, when I look at the New Testament, when you're talking about giving, even in this passage, the priority is on the brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we ought to help other people. We ought, but I'm saying to you that we as believers ought to take care of our own. We ought to take care of those who are in desperate need. This is what I love about it, is that you can do it with joy. You can do it with joy. Back in verse 7, So let each one of you, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, I think we cross a place in our lives, we cross the threshold when we realize that our giving is not just out of necessity, that we don't give just grudgingly, but we can give out of joy. I don't have to do this. Listen, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I don't have to give just to help my brother and sister in Christ. How awesome is it that I can give to help my brother and sister in Christ? What a joy that is. It is amazing that the more you give, God gives you greater and greater joy. Jesus' beatitude that he spoke of about how it is more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed means happy, content, joyful. He said it is a whole lot more joyful to give than to receive. God hasn't called me to sit around and think about how I can spend my money on myself. God has given me the opportunity to look around and see how I can strategically be a part of the kingdom of God. How can I help individuals? How can I help this young man as he strives to follow God's vision for his life? How can I help the church as it moves forth God's gospel and program? How can I help this family that is struggling at this time? And when we look at those opportunities and we give appropriately, there is joy. 
The New Testament word for cheerful is hilarion. Think about that a moment. It's the same word where we get the word hilarious. Some of you are looking at me like, well, you're hilarious this morning about all this giving stuff. <laughs> hilarious. Just, just the idea of just, just unbridled joy. When was the last time you gave in such a way to help somebody and you could just sense the joy of God? To know, listen, when I read Acts 4 that I read a moment ago, to know that your brothers and sisters, that they're coming together and they're being taken care of, that, that is joy. To know that God has not blessed us just for our simple pleasures, but that He has given us a pleasure in helping and blessing others. See, you've heard me say this again. I've been here a little while, not five years yet, obviously, or so, but as we recognized a moment ago, but I've been here a little while now, and you've heard me say a few things. How great is it to know that we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves? See, when I come together with you on Sunday morning, I realize I'm, I'm part of something bigger than myself. We're talking about God's work and God's kingdom and God's mission locally, in our families, in our community, and beyond. Some of our folks, they just got back from Nicaragua. How awesome is it to be reminded that God's got a purpose much bigger than you could ever imagine when you go to Nicaragua. And I say to you that when we give, when we're generous to others, we recognize that we're part of something bigger. We can give bountifully because our God gives bountifully so that we can use that bountiful blessing for His work and for His kingdom. Let me give you this finally. When we give bountifully, our message prospers. Our message prospers. Well, look in uh, verse 13. Again, he's talking about how they have been supplied and how, I mean, grace is abounding to them. Verse 13. While through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for their, the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of exceeding grace of God in them. Verse 11, he says, basically, they recognize your confession in Christ. Shouldn't surprise you. When you give, you reflect the character of your great God who gives. When you give, it is a testimony that God has done something different in your life. Because what the world says to do is to hold on to it. What God says to do is to be people who are willing to give. We reflect the testimony of Christ. The testimony of Christ is confirmed. The confession, even to the Judean believers, they said, hey, these people are Christians. You know, we had our own thoughts about Gentiles. We, we wondered about the Greeks when they came into this church. But look at how God has moved upon their heart to give and to help. And their giving had become an example to all. 
Back in chapter 9 again, verse 2 and 3, Paul had written about how their testimony, their zeal had stirred up other people. The message of Christ was getting out. It was encouraging other individuals. How about the testimony of love? I don't want to miss this. Corinth, a Gentile Greek church, helping the church in Jerusalem, that church which comes from a Jewish Judean background. Within this offering, listen to this, don't miss it. This is not a 21st century reinterpretation, okay? Listen. Through this giving and this offering, what God is doing is bringing racial reconciliation between the Greeks and the Jews. And don't miss the hostility that was there between them. But what God was doing is He was prospering the message of Christ that through this offering, they understood that they were one in Christ. This was not a Gentile church. It was not a Jewish church. It was just simply the church helping one another. Oh, for us as God's people to be those kinds of individuals that we would give bountifully so that we would see the message prosper. We just simply proclaim His grace and His gospel. Notice the Jerusalem church was praying for them. I, I love that part. In their poverty, they were still praying. They were asking God to bless. They were asking God to work. Because of the exceeding grace of God. Throughout this passage, this book, really throughout the whole of the Bible, grace drips from its pages. Grace totally consumes the Scripture. And here he says, exceeding grace. George Stone, where are you? I thought I saw you earlier. There you are. And Wayne Cause is here too, I think, this morning. I was thinking about this idea of just throwing, because the word exceeding, it means to overthrow. Like that you overshot. And I know none of you ever overthrew your, you know, that, what's that guy called in the middle? Relay guy? Something like that? Y'all went sleep on me about 10 minutes ago, didn't you? George, I saw you. I saw you, bro. Don't even, don't even. The word means to overthrow, overshoot, the cutoff man. You never did that, did you? But think about this. God got so excited about the grace that he was giving to us, it's kind of like he just overthrew it. It's more than you could ever imagine. You, you couldn't catch up with it. It's like he overshot it. He's like, God, I mean, I don't know if we need it, but you just kept giving us grace over and over. And it's, and it's an indescribable gift, verse 15. It's an indes- We can't even express it. We can't communicate it. We don't have the words to talk about how this grace has been poured upon us. Because see, when you give, again, you reflect the giver himself. And his message is known and it prospers to all. I began this series back in May with that simple passage. 
John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the indescribable gift Paul was talking about. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That you and I, if we're believers in Christ, we have eternal life. Hey, you want to talk about a prosperity gospel? You, you want to talk about a prosperity? Let's talk about the spiritual prosperity of eternal life that God has given us. So much more important than these things that we have today. He has blessed us. He has given to us. And I want to say to you today, if you've not accepted that gift, today's the day. Don't you leave here without knowing the indescribable gift of God. And for those of us who have, for those of us who struggle with this idea of the prosperity gospel, what is it? Hey, God does prosper our means. Many of us in here can testify to it. You can't outgive Him. But when He gives to you, He has a purpose and He has a plan for you to use that not for your own glory, but for His glory. That you will use it to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So that the message of God, the gospel, will be known among all. May we be a people who seek that type of prosperity in our hearts and lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing of it. Yes, Lord, thank you for the multiple, multiple, bountiful blessings you have given to us, all of us here who are on this campus today. And God, may we ever be grateful, may we ever be thankful, but may we ever give to impact your kingdom, to move your gospel forth. May we be cheerful. May we be joyful in helping others. It is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name.